You are listening to the Sid Rep Podcast, your home for everything related to wargaming. Whether it's news, updates in the industry, or what's going on in the world of local wargaming, we will bring it to you all right here on the Sit Rep Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Bill, and you're listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. I'm back here with Big Jim Ruskini and Gaz from England. Uh, this may sound a little different than what we've been doing normally, and that's just because I have moved into southern Florida, and we're setting up equipment, so we're using our backup studio at this point until the rest of it gets here and gets set up. We have a big show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about what's new in the hobby. Uh, we're going to talk again a little bit more about the direction of the podcast. Uh, we kind of hinted that on our live stream the other night. Um, we're going to talk about the update to the tabletop 13 hours um, game. And then more importantly, we're going to talk about the state of the industry itself and the big news that came out this week. So joining me today is Gaz from Merry Old England. Gaz, how are you today? I am full of a cup of tea, so I'm in a good form, shall Excellent. we say. Good form. Excellent. And then, joining me, now my co-Floridian, hey, I like that, is Big Jim Ariskany, who uh, had to suffer a little setback with uh, air conditioning for a little bit. How are you doing? Welcome to the dark side. You are now <laughs> in a Floridian. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> Uh, hello, everybody. Yeah, this is Ruskini, and uh, yeah, happy to be here as always. Good. All right, guys, we got a lot to talk about. Why don't we talk about the easy part first, and that's anything new uh, news-wise. Uh, does anybody have anything that they would like to kick it off with? Yeah, I can kick off some. Okay. So, uh, Sarissa Precision, uh, they have some new terrain out that I think you might like, G. Uh-huh. Uh, they've done a tile railway set. So basically a little set of uh, trains and railway tracks that are perfect for the likes of, you know, sort of Wild West settings. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got like a desert color theme to them, but you could spray them and do what you want with them, essentially. But they're um, interconnecting tile pieces so you can change the layout of the track for your games by placing them on the table. Or you could make a whole table from the tiles clipped together. Nice. So, yeah, uh, it opens up some new interesting scenery for those people that are getting into the likes of well wild west seems to have had a surge doesn't it in the last 12 months I'd yeah say. yeah we've seen some uh, really nice miniature ranges some kickstarters coming through so yeah it's good to see that it's getting some support from the bigger uh, terrain manufacturers most definitely Anything else, Gaz? Uh, yeah, I've got a few here. I've got about three okay, more. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so uh, Jim will be happy to know, because I know he loves this range when it comes out. Flames of War, Jim. The Soviets are getting some love at the moment. So I'll let you take us. I'll, I'll list them out, and you can tell us a little bit about them if you want. Uh, the <laughs> SU-76 light batteries. Oh, they've, uh, okay. they've made it to the tabletop now. That's, um, that's one of those vehicles that you really should always have at least a couple of. Extremely oh. common. There Not very go. good, but I mean, I'm sure the models are great. I always, I always want to caveat that. I say, hey, the so-and-so company came out with a new miniature like, uh, about this thing. I'm like, oh, that tank is terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I mean, like the tank, like historically, not the miniature. I'm sure the miniature. In fact, maybe you guys notice this too. The worse the tank, the better the miniature. <laughs> have you guys have you guys noticed that uh, anyway, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt I, I'm sorry. no no it's cool uh we've got the katyusha guards rocket batteries so uh old favorite that's the back of the trucks isn't it where they have the other bounce organ pipes yeah <laughs> or okay depending on uh, what side you're on 
Uh, we've got the Valentine Tank Company. Lendlease. The Russians use a lot of American and British stuff, believe it or not. Yeah, it's interesting to see them suddenly appear because obviously their visuals are very different to their other armor types, mm -hmm. uh, the way the armor's made. Uh, the KV Tank Company. There's some nice machines in there. Uh, and finally, the T-70s have got their own tank company coming out as well. Oh, yep. Cool. So, I mean, they, they're still expanding this range by the look of it, and obviously it's it's quite a large range to put models to. Mm -hmm. so I'm assuming there's some, that there's some T-34s in there? I think that, yeah, they were already out yeah. with the starter set they did oh, for the Soviets okay. and the follow-up initial releases, uh, as well as a lot of their infantry-heavy stuff. Um, I'm not sure if we've seen that much horse and cart drawn Vickers machine guns yet, but that would have been early war, wouldn't it? Uh, more than anything. Um, in addition, so uh, a favourite of all of ours, um, I think, is uh, Deep Cut Studios. There's some new mats out, uh, one of which is quite good for some pirate action. They've got sort of an island map mat to come out um, with multiple islands dotted around and almost a, a light blue sea. So you, I think you could probably use it for... If you were going to do sort of 15 mil or smaller Second World War, I think you could do a bit of island hopping on it, have some landing craft, and make it into an interesting game as well. Yeah. Um, on top of that, they've done uh, a series of three mats, uh, one of which I think was already out, and two more that have been scaled specifically for Blood Red Skies. So aerial combat and those types of things. Um, they've got one that's desert, a countryside-based one, and then one over the ocean. Um, one thing I've been seeing, because I look at the uh, Blood Red Skies forums quite a lot, mm -hmm. people are starting to do more and more of the Pacific stuff using um, scaled aircraft carriers and ships so they can do bombing runs and torpedo runs as well as fighter uh, aircraft intercepts. So it's, um, it's certainly growing into a more Pacific setting. Uh, all through Midway and all the way across, really, with the Japanese facing off against the USA. Some really nice boards, some really nice models coming out of that. Now, when you said scaled, what are you what are you referring to? I mean, so they've they're kind of deciding. They're slowly printing out different size ships to okay. see which ones look correct oh, when you've okay. got the aircraft from the Blood Red Skies on the board. So they're scaled right down to being very small as if they're doing their drops from a thousand feet or, you know, whatever, whatever sort of height they want to set it at. Um, and there's rules now in the game for doing stuff like bombing runs and torpedo runs on ships and land-based anti-aircraft as well. So there's, there's the rules to support it, which is really nice. Nice. Uh, final so, one. Oh, go on. Sorry, Jim. No, it's just going to uh, cut in super fast. Um, two quick points about those mats you were just talking about. Uh, I think you mentioned the desert one, followed immediately by a water or a sea-based mat. Um, that's actually pretty cool because I would say between 60 and 80 percent, so we'll just call it three quarters, three quarters of the air combat in the North African desert didn't take place over the North African desert. Almost all the air war that took place in that, in that North African Mediterranean theater was, in fact, over the Mediterranean. Uh, airstrikes in that campaign didn't go after tanks like we normally do. Oh, there's German artillery over there calling an airstrike. Almost all the airstrikes in that, in that theater were going after, um, on more of an operational scale, they were going after enemy shipping because supply was, was killer. I mean, supply is always killer, but in the desert, it was 10 times more important even than it normally is. 
So almost everyone's air power was being thrown against enemy shipping, Italian shipping, British shipping, uh, and the Germans had aircraft also going after British shipping, um, trying to um, you know shut down the other guy's supply line. So if you're interested in air combat in North Africa, oddly enough, there's going to be no sand on your board. You're going to be out over the ocean. And uh, at Historicon, they had a couple tables like that. It sounds weird if you've never seen that kind of table where it's, okay, your planes are 1 to 300 and your ships are 1 to 1,200. They're obviously grossly out of scale. Um, if it's done right, it really works. Uh, Historicon, like I said, had a couple Pacific-themed tables based on that. Um, and it actually kind of, I mean, torpedo bombers, maybe not so much because torpedo bombers, when they release their torpedoes, are like at 30 feet. Yeah. Um, but dive bombers or level bombers, certainly. Yeah, those ships are going to be tiny by comparison just because of it's almost like a forced perspective effect. I think it really works. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I like the fact that now you could essentially put the desert map up to an ocean map and play fighters coming in against fighters that were land-based in response and have the transitions over the water as well as land-based targets. Yeah, that coastal road was a big target too. So you could have like a split board. Like some on the water, some on some over the sand as well. And you can yeah, even make a twist cool. to the modern because now it makes me think of Iron Eagle. <laughs> over the water and over to, into the, oh yeah, sorry, just my <laughs> showing your age there, Bill. Not long. <laughs> Iron Eagle. <laughs> Lewis which, is Jr. Because, um, <laughs> which is funny because um, I've been watching the Karate Kid, the new one. Oh, um, Cobra Kai. Yeah, yep. Cobra Kai and. You know, what's his favorite movie? Iron Eagle. <laughs> yeah, Iron Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> that is, if you guys have not, anybody who's listening who's not seen Cobra Kai yet, you have to watch it. If you're that a is fan, an interesting show. It is actually really good. It is an interesting, I, I don't give a damn about Karate Kid. I'm not a big, uh, you know, martial arts guy. Uh, I never watched those kids, those movies growing up. But as like a writer or as, you know, someone who does this kind of stuff, like making the villain, suddenly the protagonist. I mean, the, especially in season one, um, the, the, the hero and the antagonist have more or less switched places, but not like jarringly so. It's not like a WWE heel turn. You know, right. it's 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 kind of like, hey, one guy was successful and made it, and now he's a little bit of a douchebag. And the other guy, he kind of peaked when he was 18, and now he's just trying to get by, and he's trying to recapture a little bit of, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting just as a, from a writer's, from a writing's perspective, it's, it's actually kind of key. It's actually kind of, kind of cool. Yeah. Kinda neat. It's actually well done for, you know, a Netflix. It was originally started as a YouTube video. Yeah. I was going to say it's sort of as a YouTube original for crying out loud. <laughs> and I mean, and now they've definitely got a season three coming, which is great because season two ended. Well, I'm telling you what, it's really good. Um, so yeah, I uh, just heard from Chris. Chris will join us here shortly. Um, cool. So yeah, uh, I've got one more if you want, G, just to yeah, fill a bit ahead. more time but as well. So the last one, um, Jim would be probably quite interested in uh, of all of us more than any, I think, uh, because it's the Warlord have released or are releasing uh, a new bolt action campaign book, and they're going to be releasing the D-Day British and Canadian sectors. So that'll be covering the everything from the landings at Gold Sword and Juno through Khan into the Falaise Pocket. Um, and it'll also give you full lists for the Canadian Army as well. Hmm. Well, that's it's good that they're um, going outside the typical, you know, uh, Gold Beach and all that stuff that we know, um, and going to the, you know the other beaches and areas of D-Day. So 
it's nice that they're expanding outside what most people are familiar with. So, yeah, especially with a force that is probably similar. To obviously, being being an allied force, the equipment and kit will be very similar. But I think a lot of people will be able to use what they already have just to represent to play test out yep. the Canadian military. Yep. Um, and and like you say, their their transitions and where they went will be very different to where the Americans and specifically the British went. Uh, and how they attack those areas will be new history for me, for example, because I'm yeah. not read up on that. That'd be yeah, awesome. Canadians, uh, I, I, that force is, changes a lot, obviously, as they land more and more troops, it grows, it grows, it grows. Um, in its final form, the famous British formation in Northwest Europe, 21st Army Group, was pretty much half Canadian. 21st Army Group was 2nd British Army and 2nd Canadian Army. Um, so even like 21st Army Group, like this is a little bit later in the, in the like Schultz Estuary, uh, moving down into uh, northern uh, um, northern Holland and into northern Belgium, battles around Antwerp. By the time you get into that part of the war, it's like literally half your British force mm -hmm. from like the five-star general's perspective, not like the, the bolt-action perspective, but from way up high, is actually British. Oh, sorry, is actually Canadian. Canadian infantry... I'm not 100% sure about 28 millimeter scale because that's a kind of a big scale. It's almost big enough to see like shoulder flashes and so on and so forth for people who get really into their hobby. But Canadian infantry, by and large, looks almost identical to uh, uh, to British infantry. So you can probably kind of squeak by um, with, like Gaz was saying, pre-existing uh, Canadian forces. The only thing that gets really different for Canadian forces is some of their vehicle equipment. I think that I'm, reasonable people may disagree, but I'm still kind of convinced that Canadians had the world's first true APC. Um, I think they called it the kangaroo, where they basically took an old Sherman chassis, kind of took off the turret, even if it was damaged in combat, or they just built it this way, sort of hollowed out the inside a little bit, a little bit, and they had an actual tank um, level armored, and uh, you know, kind of an APC. It was like back then in World War II, APC was code for half track. It wasn't like a Bradley or a Warrior or anything like a BMP, anything like when we, when we think of, of APCs today. And um, the only time I've really played Canadians on a serious war game was in, uh, surprise, surprise, um, Panzer Leader. And Canadian infantry in kangaroos are friggin' unstoppable, man. They're, I mean, it's like everything has an armored attack class. Everything has an eight defense factor. I mean, it's you're basically your infantry have a Sherman armor. And man, Canadian infantry is actually kind of badass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from a tactical perspective, just because they're equipment. I mean, I'm sure not every division had these APCs, but compared to what most people called an APC in the 40s, i.e., a half track, an M3, an SDK, uh, you know, the, the uh, 251s that, that Gaz painted earlier. I mean, yeah, technically it's armored, it'll stop machine gun fire, but come on, it's a half track. No, the Canadians had like basically turretless tanks that they were using as APCs. So yeah, definitely a very interesting army and an interesting uh, addition to the uh, to the range for sure. Oh yeah, most definitely. That's good. It's nice to see them expanding outside again. You know what everybody knows, and to, you know there's so much to, in this case, World War II that doesn't get coverage because you know it's not the popular thing or the, you know. So it's nice to see them covering other areas as well. So. Anything else, Gaz? I have a few pieces if you're done. No, that's me done. Okay. Uh, the first one is that Tim Spakowski, sorry, 
tripped over my own tongue there, uh, from Footsore uh, North America, um, posted some images of his MRAPs or Cougars or whatever they are. Um, let me see if I can find them. Um, they're really turning up some really nice, um, it's an LATV, um, modern stuff. And, you know, he keeps on turning it out. And now it's available in the UK, is my understanding, from Footsore UK. Um, so if you check out Footsore Miniatures uh, website, you will see uh, the new uh, armored vehicles for, you know, they're in 28 millimeters. So those look really good. Nice detail. Um, Whoever painted them did a really good job, so they look really good. Weapons platforms on them. Uh, the next one. Do they have like different options for the weapons platforms? Or uh, is, is it pretty standard? I mean, at larger scale Humvees that I've built, it's like, uh, oh, you want a Humvee in 28 mil? Or 20, I usually gave moderns in 20. Yeah. You want a Humvee in 20 mil? Okay, cool. Here's a menu, and I get like a two-page PDF document because there's like 50 different kinds of Humvees with different turrets, different machine guns, different right. loadouts. Well, um, according anything like to that? the website, it says it comes with – it's a one fiftieth scale model, and it comes with six turret variations. There we go. Yeah, that's 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 what I was suspecting. Yeah, so that's nice that they include all the variations for you. So that that's good. Uh, something else that really piqued my interest is Albino Raven Miniatures. Now this is a Patreon subscription, um, and you get STL files to print. And right now they have some modern ones that they're doing, uh, seated soldiers. Um, they had a, uh, they're doing some kind of up armored, um, Humvee that they'll be doing. So it's like some of the other ones right now. Um, I, I'd be interested to see what comes out of these. Um, you know, I don't know if I, cause some of them look a little future, you know, it's different. Um, check it out if you, uh, are interested in printing your own minis. Um, but they did post some of some modern guys that are like seated, so you can put them like in the back of a, a vehicle or something like that. So, but that's a Patreon thing. Uh, another thing, Plastic Soldier Company announced their next two releases for Northag. Um, one is a British Spartan Patrol and a Soviet BDRM2 Conquer section. What can you tell us about that one, there, Jim? The BRDM2. Yeah. Um, I've never in the Condor section. I've never really heard of that. I'm assuming that's sounded like a, you know, a Russian or ex-Soviet kind of an airborne unit of some kind, but I don't know. Okay. Uh, the BRDM2 is uh, the successor, obviously, to the BRDM1. This is a four-wheeled. Uh, I don't want to call it an APC because it, it really doesn't carry a squad of infantry, to my knowledge. Um, most times, you see BRDM2s like we would see like LAVs. Um, in some of our more Western militaries. Again, it's not really an APC, four-wheeled, lightly armored, very small vehicle. Um, it's almost more of an armored car than an APC of any kind. It's usually either a command vehicle or sometimes the Soviets used to um, sort of uh, put either like communications equipment in it, make it like, like just like, like a command vehicle, some sort of like communication relay station. Um, they used to put a rack of AT-5s on there back in the 80s, and damn, they were dangerous. Uh, and Arab is really worse. I've seen BRDM1s with AT3s, AT4s, and even AT5s in more modern settings uh, put a whooping on some Israeli tanks. Yeah. 
there's really tanks just rolling the board like they're the ship, you know, yeah. we're the IDF, we're the tank, we're the, you know, we're the mailed fist of uh, the IDF. And, oh, wait, the, <laughs> the Egyptians have discovered missiles. Oh, no. Um, we've had this conversation before about how vulnerable tanks may or may not be to um, to missiles. Uh, historically, specifically Yom Kippur War 73, you would see missiles because the, the Israelis had almost all tanks, you know, at least the forward edge of their divisions, and they used them badly. And as a result, uh, yeah, tanks used badly are horrifically vulnerable to vehicles like the BRDM-1 and 2. Little vehicles like 120th their weight, but they're hauled down with this little rack of AT-5s like on top of the, of the whole roof or whatever. Um, and sometimes I think they also put like lighter uh, racks of uh, um, uh, anti-aircraft uh, missiles, you know, uh, SA-9s, SA-13s, I think, SA-7s, almost like your man pads kind of stuff. I think there's a version of it called the Avenger. We sort of have where they put basically put stingers on like a little revolving turret on top of a, a Humvee, mm-hmm. a little like that. Um, I got an improvised light wheeled anti-aircraft vehicle. Um, but you won't see like companies of these things carrying like, you know, motor rifle companies into combat. It was more of a support and command sort of a four wheel armored car for lack of a better word. Nice. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to a section that I am so excited about, and I have to get my hands on them. This is not helping me stream down some of my work pile, but Empress Miniatures has come out with a new line, and it's called The Wild Bunch. It's Western guys, and these are based on um, movies. Um, there's Boss Spearman. Um, Charlie Waite, those are from um, the Kevin Costner movie. Oh, I just watched it the other week, and I can't remember what it's called now. Um, Boss Spears was the um, – was um, oh, my God. I'm totally drawing a blank. Oh, uh, you're talking about Open Range. range. Open, open Range, range. thank range. you. Apostle Waite, yes, Open Range. So they have made them in mounted and in, in, in a gunfighter pose. Um, they've made Everett Hitch which was... Um, They're all from that movie? No, uh, Everett Hitch oh. is from Appaloosa. Gotcha. Um, so I was going to say, we totally just skipped over uh, Blue Bonnet. What was his name? Robert Duvall's character. He kept calling him boss and right at the very end before the big gun battle, he's like, I'm not going to meet my maker without knowing your given name. It sure as hell ain't boss. Yep, it's, it's like, Blue Bonnet. Blue Bonnet. He was Blue Bonnet. And yep. He points his gun at him. He's like, you better not ever tell a soul. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> So, yeah, you have um, them, you have Charlie Waite, you have Everett Hitch from Appaloosa, you have Liberty Valance uh, miniatures, which is awesome. Uh, you have the Baxter Boys, which were the antagonists in uh, the Open Range. Uh, you have T- Tom Donovan, uh, which is the John Wayne character from Who Shot Liberty Valance. Um, and then you have Virgil Cole. Uh, oh, that's the bad guy in Appaloosa, um, the protagonist. So the only Virgil I know from Old West was uh, the older, um, the older yeah. Earp. Uh, brother in Tombstone. Virgil Earp. Why? Yeah. So um, no, but it's nice to see these. These look really nice. Um, it, like I said, you know, Western stuff is gas related. That uh, it's coming back this year. I don't know if people are just digging up old Western movies and stuff, and they're like, hey, that sounds cool. Or maybe people are actually listening to me about Westerns. I don't know. Who knows? That'd be scary if they were listening to you. 
Oh, no. wait a minute. There's somebody who just snuck in. There's a ghost machine. <laughs> I snuck in. Well, welcome to the show, Chris. Yeah, this is what happens when you uh, have to get your neighbors to move so you can get a truck in the yard. <laughs> I see you. Are you pouring concrete for new sidewalks? No, gravel right now. Oh, just gravel? Okay. Yeah. I saw you doing the forum, so I was wondering if you were going to be doing concrete work. No, just gravel right gotcha. now. Uh, wait well, a minute, you were digging all that stuff in the snow? Yep, I was. Damn Get Canadians. Storm. Only yeah, in we Canada weren't expecting snow. <laughs> well, welcome, Chris. Not good to have you join us. We were just doing some uh, updates and news of things that have been posted. And since you posted 90% of it on the on the Facebook page, <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're our social media guy. Uh, I was talking yeah. about the Empress miniatures, the Western guys. Uh, they, oh, aren't they nice? Oh, they are. Really nice. I, I like how they've actually... Um, so my question is, how long is it before they're no longer available because somebody does a copyright infringement thing? Or is that I not applicable don't think, in the UK? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, okay. Lots of companies do miniatures that are similar to characters and movies and books uh-huh. all the time and they don't seem to get uh, hit with uh, cease and desists or anything okay. so well, we see. should be they should be okay uh, I, i'm gonna have to definitely grab all these guys before they disappear but yeah uh, hopefully they won't they'll expand the range but i i'm very excited uh that empress is doing some westerns so uh, and empress awesome. is killing me right now just the <laughs> amount of cool stuff they're bringing out yeah between Paul Hicks and Paul Eagleston with Ad Empress, they're just bringing out tons of stuff. It's just crazy how much that they've done. Um, that's all I – so, Chris, we just uh, went over the Empress miniatures. I went over the North Ag miniature releases. I talked about Albino Raven miniatures a little bit. Yeah, I'm, then... ho- I'm hoping to print those uh, this week, the Albino. Yeah. Uh, did you back to Patreon? It's more of an ultra-modern. Okay. It's not like – like current modern uh-huh. it's more set in the future kind of thing i think gotcha. i'm yeah, looking so I'm at the, uh, i'm gonna have i'm gonna let i'm gonna reserve my opinion for you to actually print them because i'm looking at the picture of the two guys sitting on ammo crates it looks like and their <laughs> weapons look very bulky um, yes they do so yeah. now there's a big discussion about this and gas uh, join in as a former uh, miniatures creator, um, and Jim as well, you know, from your standpoint. I know several people in the industry that we I've had this discussion with um, about weapons and creating them with miniatures because I've had some people complain, those weapons look so out of scale. And then you have other people, you know, that say actual scale miniatures uh, weapons look underscaled. Um and a, a famous, I consider him famous, uh, owner of a miniatures company, um, you know, should I say his name? I should, but anyways, uh, I, I'm an owner of one of the miniatures company, um, told me once that it's very difficult to treat, create weapons and true scale when you're creating miniatures because of the fragility of the weapons and they end up breaking uh, quite often, or they don't cast properly, um, and people get dissatisfied with it. So that's why you'll see some weapons that look overly scaled. I don't know what your guys' opinions on that. 
Um, but well, I used I used to cast for a company. Uh huh. And I'll tell you, if we got um, to make a mold, if we got a miniature that their rifle ends, like the barrel end, uh-huh. was too small and too thin, it would not ca- either cast properly, like in the spin casters, mm-hmm. or it would um, be so fragile when it was cast that it would just break off. Yeah. So I've seen sculptors oversize because when you do the casting and the molding process you usually do pre-production where you're casting a whole bunch of the same miniature to put into a production mold yeah you don't want that to happen so they would oversize pretty much all their weapons just so they they knew that when the casting process came about it would cast properly and now you've got 3d sculpting and people complain about how it looks too big. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the production end of it, you have to have it that big just so it would go down a size so it would cast properly. Yeah. And hold up to, you know, handling. So that's yeah, what I that's what I know. Yeah. The the average uh, barrel at the end of like a, your five fifty six assault rifle, uh, depending on whatever, you know, make and model you want to talk about is about not the handguards, not the forward side assembly, not the upper receiver, like the actual barrel is what, like 15 millimeters wide at the outside, something like that. And if you do, if you are one to a hundred scale mini, like a, like a, you know, a, a 15 millimeter mini, that's 0.15 millimeters. We're down into the tenths of a millimeter now. Um, that, even if it does make it correctly, by the time it gets to you in the mail, it's going to be broken. You know, uh, yeah. there's just no way. Um, I have seen some plastics do it well. I have some 20 millimeter plastics where the weapons are not heroically scaled at all. Um, and if, it, if it's like a soft plastic, okay, it won't break. Now it just bends. And every single miniature, you have to give it that hot bath. Um, you know, you put it in really hot water so the plastic gets a little bendy again. You can kind of bend it back into shape. Now your barrel's crooked. I tried to uh, do a few of them with a very light, lighter touch. And again, at 0.15 millimeters, that plastic melts instantly. And let's just say a lot of my AK guys turned into AKSU guys. Oh, it's, it's the carbine version. It's fine. You know, uh, I ruined a couple of guys doing that. Uh, yeah, I, I totally get it. I think that the, the, the trick is, is when um, I've seen so many companies say, oh, okay, full pass. I totally understand. You have to make the, the, the weapon a little bit bigger, but rather than just change the thickness of the weapon, especially its barrel and like, you know, front side assembly, like the delicate parts, they just scale up the whole weapon. Now it looks like everyone's walking around with those Mauser anti-tank rifles from World War One. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they don't, they don't just make it thicker. They make it thicker, like and longer and wider and the whole nine yards. I'm like, okay, no, that guy looks like Vasquez from aliens. So I'm like, no, that, that, that's weird. <laughs> Um, other than that, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think you can get away with it a bit more when you push in 2832. Uh, but even then, um, you know, if your product's damaged when it arrives to your customer, they potentially are going to get back in touch and you're going to have to package another one and send it. And it's all that cost is then laid on you. So therefore, yeah, it, most people scale them up. The other thing you can do is intelligent posing. Um, so we, when we did our range, it was true scale. So so what we did, what was called some intelligent posing. So we would support them, that part of the miniature in a different way. 
saw two hands on the weapon tucked into the body you know you can almost up to a point touch another area um and use flash yeah. to support it until it arrives and then the person that gets it snips the flashing off or put in an extra um, support mechanism mm-hmm. uh, and design that in for the print production so that when the guy gets it it's not just a bit of flash between two areas it's actually a supported element where they just snip off a small area yeah um and if the company that's doing the production is experienced in that they'll often get back in touch with you as a designer or as a gaming company to say look i love what you've done with it but that's not going to work you'll normally catch that with the uh, cad designers and such quite early on to be fair most of those guys now have been doing it for a long time the ones that generally get used mm-hmm. so they have a, a good perception of what's needed even down to when to use square holes and pegs rather than circular circular allows you to pose a model but some stuff you want to be in a specific angle going a specific way so for those you'll use a different type of uh, peg mechanism so that it's specifically very difficult for it to look wrong because you can only turn it 90 degrees at a time if you're using a square peg so as soon as you put it in the wrong way you're like oh not that way turn it one oh there you go that's right and it looks like it should awesome so that's that thing um any other news from your standpoint chris um i'm just trying to think can't think there was it was kind of a slow news week when i think about it yeah um empress just going over the things in my head i think that's about it that i remember off the top of my head okay let's change gears a little bit and do a quick update uh direction for this podcast um the first thing that we wanted to talk about is our next project. Well, before we do that, let me give you an update on our last project. Um, the video has been in the can for a couple of weeks now for the tabletop game. It is a lot of files. We're talking almost, what did I say, 300 gigabyte of video files that I have to combine, render down, and then edit. So it's taking a little longer. Um, than I originally planned uh, just because of the way we filmed it. Um, so I just so just um, bear with us. I will try and get it out for this Thursday show. And in the middle of that, I did move. So, um, yeah. you know, there is that too. Um, so it's not forgotten. It's not dead. I gave you guys a quick synopsis on the quick live show we did the other night. And I, again, let me apologize uh, for what happened during that live stream. Uh, we had a couple people that jumped in who thought they were extremely funny uh, on YouTube and were making some very inappropriate comments. So we had to stop the stream and restart it. And uh, so, but uh, I did put an update on there. So it is coming. Um, you'll get to see all the glory of the action that happened on the tabletop. Talking about that, the guys, uh, we've all been talking about where we think the podcast has gone, where it should go, what we think. And we're kind of wondering if the pirate's idea is not the best choice or there's that much interest generated as we thought there would be uh, with the podcast. Um, We want to make this an open discussion, so we're hoping you guys will put comments below. uh, No matter what platform you're listening to this or send us an email on Facebook or just message on Facebook. Um, have we wandered away from the purpose of this podcast? 
do we need to concentrate more back on what we originally were, which was moderns, or should we uh, look at our next project being something along the lines of some of the bigger, uh, more popular genres, whether that's World War One or Two or Napoleonics, Civil War, yada, yada, yada. Um, we'd like to hear your ideas, or do we stick with the pirates thing? Uh, because, you know, as Gaz pointed out, he did put out uh, a suggestions, was looking for suggestions when he was doing some of his uh, brew reviews, and we really didn't get too much um, as far as input. So, I don't know, guys, what do you think, um, you know, with this conversation? Yeah, I think we definitely want to, I want to focus, if, if the guys that are watching stuff like Viewing a Brew and updates want something specific, uh, that's not pirates, for example. I don't want to force that onto them, right? Because that's not something they want to watch. Uh, and I'm about to go through painting uh, at least six individual models, which is twelve weeks. You know, if I do every other week, so that'd be three months of content they're not interested in. Uh, and there's, the, I can put my time in other places where they would want something. If even if they're not really that interested in painting, let us know. Because if that's an area we can refocus into organizing more live games or more uh, historicals, you know, uh, stuff like Jim does for Op Center, you know, anything like that, we can we can focus on what people are the most interested in and therefore make the channel better for the people listening to it. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the, the, the poll we had out earlier this year about, hey, guys, what do you think our next big focus should be after 13 days to 13 hours? Um, did legitimately come out as pirates. Um, and we've been trying to put out some pirate content, uh, you know, during, you know, while 13 days is wrapping up, um, just to kind of make sure that, hey guys, we, we heard the poll, we put out the poll, you guys were cool enough to actually respond to the poll. And, you know, we are listening. We're not, we're not ignoring you. We're not, you know, we, we haven't forgotten about it. Um, now the response to what we've seen on pirates so far has been very, very small. And looking, I won't reveal obviously specific numbers; those are internal. But the the number of votes that we received in general on that poll is actually quite small compared to our overall subscriber base. And the the, the margin by which pirates won was very very slender. So for the sake of one or two voters, basically, or for, you know, a small number of voters, we're starting to think maybe we shouldn't shift the focus of the whole channel. Because, you know, we've got hundreds of people on YouTube, hundreds on Facebook, hundreds on, you know, we're all over the place. And if we, you know, sort of focus the whole team's effort on one area, um, I mean, I understand that, you know, people voted for it, but again, it's, a, it's an extremely slender margin. So I think we're just starting to think, well, maybe we should like, maybe like do pirates along with something else or uh, I don't want to put pirates on the back burner entirely, but, you know, what, what else should we be doing? Mm -hmm. um, because while legitimate, the data that's supporting an overall shift, like almost exclusively to pirates for like a month or two or two months is really slender. And we don't want to risk um, alienating or boring uh, the other 99.5% uh, of, of our audience. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I think that uh, how we've been doing it, where we all, depending on what's on our hobby table, and usually it's pretty interesting stuff. Like Jim's always got some cool games going on. Mm -hmm. So that's good content. You know, Gaz is always painting some really cool miniatures. And sometimes it's all over the place. 
but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Gives you variety. You know, we've got games going on. I know my table's always covered with different things every very true week, <laughs> every day. Um, but I think just sticking to one subject for all of us mm-hmm. is maybe not a good idea. Yeah, I think splitting it up is a better idea. I and agree. It gives people more things to look at that's not just all the same content for a month or months. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I think by us all concentrating on one thing, we're turning off interest to people who are not interested in that subject. And then, you know, with all the things that are available elsewhere in social media, they'll go elsewhere to look for things. And it would limit the growth of the channel and opportunities if we're only concentrating on one thing. And, you know, and that's not in somebody's wheelhouse. So. I agree, Chris. I think we should be all just, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, to garner interest from every di- which way, you know, every direction. So I I agree. Um, and I think we're that, pretty much saying the same thing. I think that kind of leads us to our next uh, to our next inevitable question. Yes. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of which and a little bit of what. <laughs> um, once again, we are reaching out to our community, guys. Yeah. Um, you know, if there is a specific, um, you know, or semi-specific thing, like uh, I put out American uh, War of Independence uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know how popular that is because it's a kind of a small, you know, niche within a niche kind of a subject. Should we maybe pivot more to Napoleonics if you're a Black Powder fan um, or American Civil War uh, as opposed to American War of Independence? Um, World War Two, we do hit. So far, I've been trying to avoid the immediate Northwest Europe thing. I know we just did a Hurricane Forest battle, um, but that's a battle that very few people have heard of. I'm trying to pick on the little stuff in World War II that not many people have heard of and stay away from the Saving Private Ryan Band of Brothers thing, which is great, but literally everybody on planet Earth does it. Right. So we're, 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 we're kind of trying to stand out a little bit. Um if you guys want to do, you know, San Marigliese or something for, oh, okay, um, you know, you know, let us know, and and we'll and, and you know, we'll we'll try to come up with some content about that. Yeah, we're basically just asking. Okay, we're not like completely dropping pirates by any means. I mean, you guys did vote. We're not like invalidating anyone's right. election results or anything. Not to get too political, but um, <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, um, yeah, like like what else should we do at the same time? We don't want to make this a one issue channel. We better not drop pirates. I bought a whole bunch of pirates just recently. (laughs) And I backed a Kickstarter, too. (laughs) No, yeah, again, Jim is 100% right. We're not saying we're we're done with pirates. I think we just need to make sure we're not focusing on just one subject, you know, because everybody has different interests, and we want to be able to kind of address a lot of different, you know, uh, areas at the same time, and we all have our interests. We all have our specialties. And I think, um, you know, we should be working on those strengths. So, I mean, we took a lot of time with uh, 13 days, 13 hours. Um, but even with that, we still had an intermix of other things. So we just want to hear input from you all to see what you think and where you'd like other areas to go as well. So um, I think that's what we're going to do. You know, like, Gas probably has projects he'd love to do paint videos for that aren't pirate related, and he probably felt 
well, I can't do that because it's not in our you know, theme now. So we want people to be interested in what we do. We want the people doing it to be interested in what they're doing and not feel like they have to do one other thing. So um, that's how yeah, I, I mean, feel about that. I can, I can jump around a number of game systems just from stuff that's in the the dreaded pile of shame, to be honest. Um, I have Germans for Bolt Actions sat ready to go, and that's the 1939-1940 stuff, so you, we don't see it as much as the mid to late war. Uh, I've got Flames of War that we did the 251, but I've also got a Tiger sat there, well, a Tiger platoon, uh, Panzer Fours, uh, I've got more infantry. So again, we can we can chop and change between them. Um, what else have I got? A Blood Red Skies, I just picked up some JU. 88Cs, Heavy Fighters, so we could revisit that, because I know that's uh, quite popular at the moment. Uh, I've got some uh, Feudal Japan miniatures, you know, so, and that's just the stuff I could think of right at this moment. Uh, for rules, I've got stuff like Saga and other games that I want to get stuff for, yep. but, you know, they're not my main focus now, but could become that to do content for the Saga. podcast. I love Saga. That's a good game. <laughs> Damn it, guys! So, yeah. Well, you know, we could even down to if people just want to do, you know, sessions of the, you know, Roman legionnaire, uh-huh. uh, Napoleonic, um, you know, infantrymen, um, uh, lancers, you know, just a specific. I'd just like to see how you would go about painting that and have that as content. Uh, Germans, Second World War, British Second World War, American yep. Second World War, just how to go through. I mean, there's a load of content already out there for a lot of these things. But, you know, if people want it, I've got no drama picking some up and painting it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we you know, we all, like I said, we all have our interests and stuff, and we should definitely work on that. I mean, Chris has been producing all kinds of different stuff. Heck, you've been doing those French and Indian uh, War um, minis that you printed. So, yeah. I got, um, I got slowed down until I got glasses, but yeah. Uh, that was, that was it's amazing what you can do when you can see. Yeah. I, I want to push Jim into a historical area he's never even looked at just Uh-oh. to earn <laughs> uh, <laughs> his day. I think the, the you know, like, uh, I don't know, the uh, uh, taking over the Chinese Empire. I've never even looked at before. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not saying I it's think... impossible. I'm saying the odds are against you. Yeah, I think uh, I think how the Aztecs and the Ottomans, you know, <laughs> the Aztecs and Ottomans random. never fought each other. No, no, but like two periods where it just doesn't come up as often as sort of the oh, mainstream. Okay, cool. uh, maybe even stuff like uh, how the Persian Empire became what it was, because we talk about obviously Alexander and Philip, but and how that built into Alexander taking over Babylon, but that's more about rarely... how the Persian Empire fell than how the empire started. Yeah, you know, it's... yeah, it's it's always mid rather than well, how did these all fall under a single leader? You know, so I think there's lots of there's lots of options for us to push into historical wise, but it depends what people want. Yeah, we're talking about Persians um, and their rise. You're talking about you know fights against uh, let's see who was right before the Persians. That would be uh, the Assyrians, and before that the Babylonians. So, yeah, you're going way back. Um, yeah, Hittites and Hyksos and even the Egyptians before that. Um, to I think the Battle of Megiddo is like the first. Megiddo is often like considered, at least last time I read, like the beginning of military history. It's the first time there was a battle big enough where somebody bothered to write down what happened afterwards. So I think it's the earliest, generally accepted to be the earliest 
battle report. Um, and that's ironically where the term Armageddon comes from, uh, if I'm not too far off on that. Uh, Megiddo is a city, I think, in what is today northern Israel, if not Jordan, somewhere around that area. And we're talking about, um, yeah, this is where the first battle took place. Battle in air quotes. Obviously, people have been throwing rocks at each other for millions of years. But the first, someone bothered to write it down, the birth of air quotes, military history. And according to some sources, uh, not to get all, you know, super religious here, but that's where the last battle is supposed to take place. Um, it begins and ends at Megiddo, which is, you know, the root of Armageddon. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot to explore back there. I don't know a lot of details about it. But I have messed around with uh, Ancients using TSR's battle system, version 2.0, um, doing a lot of that, that desert stuff, uh, way like ancient, ancient, ancient stuff. Um, but again, I would have to, uh, I do have some sources on it, but I would have to, I would have to re uh, do a little refresher course uh, for sure. Well, there's a challenge there. All right. Is everybody, is, is everybody asleep now? Is that a dead really <laughs> oh, What? 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 Yeah, right. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. All right. So uh, let's talk about the big news this week. Uh, there was oh, yeah. a large announcement made this week by one of the um, bigger wargaming media outlets. Um, it was a gut punch to me. To be honest with you um so i'd like to get everybody's impression and see if it's a precursor to more consolidation remember i talked about consolidation in another show and um i just thought we would do something you know talk about it a little bit more so for those of you who are not familiar with what i'm talking about um on tabletop formerly known as beast of war announced Warren, um, one of the owners of it, him and his brother Lloyd, uh, made an announcement um, that they have sold OTT to Wayland Games, um, which Sounds I familiar. thought was a huge shocker. Um, because if you know the history of Beast of War... Um, so I'm saying they actually came from there, didn't they, originally, sort of? Yeah. In 2013? Yeah. Uh, when they were still in England, they became part of, they were associated with Wayland Games. And then um, they were doing some pre-box unboxings of GW stuff, I think it was. If you go back, you'll find the video somewhere. Uh, Warren Mates, the announcement of how, you know, GW threatened to revoke uh, distributorship of Wayland Games. And so then... Uh, Warren felt that you know they couldn't be creative like they wanted to be, so they have disbanded from Wayland Games and moved back to Northern Ireland, and that's when Beast of War became what it was for the last several years. And how quickly the table has turned, and now they've gone back and have sold the company or the rights or whatever, however they're doing. I don't know the actual details um, to Wayland Games. Um, so... I was like, wow, okay. Um, I, I I know a lot of people did not take it well. They were very polite about it, don't get me wrong. But a lot of people were extremely concerned. Um, 
based upon, I guess, history. I've never done business with Whalen Games. My only knowledge of Whalen Games is what I knew from Warren and discussions we had about what had happened many years ago. So I have never done business with Whalen Games. So I have no firsthand knowledge. Uh, but the, it seems like there's many more people who've had business dealings with Whaling Games and have not had positive experiences. So they're very concerned of what this means for OTT. Your guys' thoughts? I think this is inevitable, inevitable yeah. that uh, smaller companies are going to be, with COVID and everything in lockdown in Europe and everywhere else in the world, it's going to happen. These smaller companies are going to get bought up by larger companies. Yeah. Um, whether it's going to be a bad thing right at this point, I'm going to reserve judgment. Yeah. Um, I've heard things about Wayland Games, and I do remember them moving to Eng England and then moving back and working out of the shed in Warren's backyard. Yep. You know, I remember that. Um, I hope for their sake it goes really well. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to reserve judgment until we see a little bit more and see what happens. I agree. I, I, if I was Wayland Games, I wouldn't, you know, rock the boat too much. Uh-huh. Because the community will come down on them real hard. And it's a really large community. Yeah. Well, the community will just flee. I mean, yeah. Why? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Who are you? I don't know you. You know, this is our house. We built it together. We're the community. You may have bought OTT, but you didn't buy us. Quite yeah. frankly, fuck off. You know. Yeah. And... Yeah. So it's a, it's I, a little I weird. I would, def, I, would, I would be if I were Wayland, I would have a very light touch. I guess at, yeah. at least initially. At the same time, they did buy it. They did pay for it. It's of course, there's to pretty do with. Oh, I would just, you know, take it slow. I think that's probably all baked in, to be honest. I think um, it'll pretty much, for the foreseeable <laughs> future, run. They bought it for the, the reason of what it is and who listens to it. And those people that may have gone away initially will, will probably come back, I'd like to think, uh, when not a lot changes, if nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Has there uh, actually been, like, a drop in membership or...? Uh, I don't know. We, we couldn't really tell, I suppose, because it's all subscribed, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, we don't uh, know the actual numbers of subscribers. I don't think it has on YouTube, but that's not the same as what... Well, it's Roll Together, isn't it, that they bought, I think, um, which is when you order something from the store as well, it comes under Roll Together. Um, I think it's a, it's a multi-part name company now. I think it was Beast of War. On tabletop for so be so often the original i think it then split into ott being the sort of the video media content and then rolled together i think is the store mm. is how it's worked uh, i think that they've bought everything it's not so it's a part and parcel uh, as well as staff and location and not bought the location but you know the, the things are going to stay at least like you say initially as they are uh, interesting thing i just out of interest, I just jumped on to, uh, I don't know if you guys use it much, it's called Trustpilot. It's like a review site. Uh, no. I don't know if it's a UK-specific thing. So when you put in whaling games and reviews, you'll see a, there's a fair few where they're in the mid-threes, but Trustpilot's one of the larger ones that sort of amalgamates a lot of information these days. So every time I buy something, 
from say on tabletop i um i get a do you want to fill out a review from Trustpilot because they're linked uh currently whaling games from eighteen thousand four hundred and nine reviews have a 4.8 okay well um, is that out of a five-point scale or a ten-point yeah, scale? Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I think it's out of a five-point. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, five-point. Excellent. So five is so eighty-eight percent are excellent and nine percent are great, and the rest are one or less. Okay. For the bottom three stars, um, I think with many things we generally hear from the people unhappy more <laughs> than we do from the ones that are. Uh, when it comes to Wayland, I know a lot of people that have had problems with them, including myself, over time. But you know, I've, you, you you put your bad review up, and then maybe nobody else has got something you want. You buy it from the next time. You have no problem, so you give them an right. okay review or a good review. So based on the sheer volume of reviews there, yeah, I mean there are people that are unhappy. You know, there's at least one percent that are in the bottom three categories. So there's three percent of people from eighteen thousand plus that were unhappy in some way or found it to be poor or bad, but. Um, when you when you've got that type of volume going in and out as well, it's difficult to gauge um, what you're going to get from them. But as a as a parent company now, they I think they run a number of different sub companies and companies that own companies, and they're they're a lot bigger than most people realize. Where they've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this leads to the question: Do you think it's going to hurt? the creativity of OTT because now they have new bosses to report to. And I'm assuming those people are not going to be ideal, identical, I should say, in their vision as like Warren and Lloyd's vision is. Um, do you see a curtailing of the creativity um, or a different direction based upon uh, the business model that Whalen Games has? Um, I don't know. Wayland sells a lot of different items. Like they sell say, a lot of stuff. Yeah. So um, we might I, see a little bit of change, but I don't think it's going to be a great amount. I, I think it'll stick to what's in stock. I think it's almost like having a small Northern Ireland branch. Yeah. That does also media content. So I think it'll stay. I, I honestly think it'll stay pretty much as it is. Um, I don't think there'll be that much change because you can only stock so many items. There's no point in pushing stuff that they don't stock there because then they'd have to get it in to sell because that'll be on the media platform. So it'd have to be physically be there. They'd have to be shipping stuff backwards and forwards just to show. I, I honestly think it's not really going to change at all. If if I can dare to be optimistic for a little bit, uh -huh. um, like really optimistic, this isn't normally my bag. I'm usually the, the grouch. But... Uh, <laughs> In all seriousness, might it get a little better? Okay. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that in any way as a slam against what what OTT's been doing lately, but OTT's been putting out a lot of GW stuff. Yeah. Lately, a lot of GW stuff. I don't know much about Wayland, but I don't think they are, or maybe they are. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are they like you know a GW? Uh, I know they're not a subsidiary, but like a GW uh, kind of a puppet. I mean, that's probably the wrong word. Um, I don't think they are. Like uh, they, we were just saying, um, or like, like Chris was just saying, they sell a lot of different stuff. And if this pulls a little bit of the business pressure off of Lloyd and Warren, 
maybe this will allow Lloyd and Warren to kind of enjoy the more hobby side of it and create a side of it a little bit more. Because let's face it, we haven't seen a hobby lab on OTT in a while. Yeah. That Lloyd used to do. We haven't seen. Um, I mean, I don't watch a lot of. Uh, I haven't wa- watched a lot of backstages lately. But I know, have we seen a lot of? You know, Warren meets Matt. Have we seen a lot of projects? We haven't seen the Let's Play. Um, you know, for a while. That's mostly been like Jerry kind of stuff. Jerry and Justin and John. You know, Lloyd and uh, outside of the weekend shows, we haven't really seen a lot. In fact, have we even seen vlogs? We haven't even seen like Warren used to do a lot of vlogs. In some of the boot camps I've seen, uh, I've been to lately, there's almost been like a sense of exhaustion. Like there's there's so much going on and there's like so many worries, especially with COVID and everything else like that. Might this, again, this maybe just me trying to see the thing half full. Might this be uh, taking a little bit of the pressure personally uh, off of Lloyd and Warren and maybe allowing them to uh, almost like reconnect with the community a little bit more? Yeah. And maybe I'm just, you know, trying to find a glass half full where there's where there's not enough water. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to remain optimistic as best I can. No, yeah, I mean those are all very valid points. And I'm looking at their website right now. While they have a very robust games workshop um, section, they do have just about every other miniatures war game out there. I just counted them. They uh, they currently have 125 different war games listed. Wow. So they are no by no means are they bracketed at yeah. all. And they sell Lego. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It can't be that bad. They sell Lego, right? Um, I mean, so again, like it, every single hold on, hold on, hold on. It's one thing to pull up some numbers. Every single show recently has been at least 50 percent gw yeah come on come uh, on I, I think that's probably i mean they've a lot of the recent vlogs have been actually conquest because they're running a conquest campaign at the moment uh-huh. including I, have, I honestly have no idea what that is it's so a it's, fantasy um, it's a fantasy game. it's a fantasy it's parabellum is the yeah. the host company and their stock is of that that product range have been for a while but they've just now moving into so forum are doing vlog uh, interviews as they build their force so they're doing a uh, slow grow campaign digitally this time similar to what we did in the flames of war one they did um uh, when it comes to content uh, john's put out how to paint you know using contrasts for each of the the different ranges that the four guys are doing um so th- there is stuff trickling in and out there is interviews there's a lot of hobbies i think jerry's kind of took over from lloyd when it comes to doing he recently did um how to rust up panels on armor how to do streaking so that type of stuff's mainly coming from jerry now but when we think back to the last couple of boot camps that's where lloyd generally jumps in deeper mm-hmm. um you know when they had the the blood and plunder he did the big board for that uh, when we did the 40k, him and Warren were doing the vlogs of how they built the apocalypse table for 40k. Um, when they did the Star Wars Legion, I think John painted up a fallen 8080 as as a board, um, and uh, and stuff like the Let's Plays. Yeah. I, I think that was like, again like a, like a year and a half ago. Was the fallen yeah, but you know, COVID was February, so there's like seven eight of that months where they've. They were either not able to be in work or so limited. Lloyd, I don't think, has actually been in the office. No, he refuses refuse to go in. So, so yeah, this, he's not going to be producing that type of content. Uh, and there was a long period where, you know, I think some of the other guys where it was mainly 
those that were close, maybe I think it was obviously Justin because he can jump out of his window, slide down a pole, right. and land in OTT guy. <laughs> Um, and I imagine Warren had some reservations with, you know, family and stuff as well, potentially bringing it home for a, for a good amount of time as well. So I think um, I think it's difficult to to judge during this particular climate uh, how they've been producing. But at the same so, time, so forty k just ran into ninth edition, which is obviously massive. So if they have been doing that content, it's probably not a bad thing because that's what is the biggest focus. In the last three or four months, at least. Yeah. So. So yeah, I mean, like you say, I think you're right, Jim. I think they'll have a uh, the budget for doing certain things for attending events potentially, and uh, I think they'll have to pay a lot more to to get somebody to stick a needle in Warren and be a Baracus's ass onto a plane to get him anywhere. But <laughs> maybe they could sneak somebody up on him to get him overseas to to some of the bigger events. But I doubt it. I think it'll still be the same guys going doing. Uh, the likes of SN and Gen Con and Historicon, and you know, I think it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to just see how it goes. But uh, again, I I hope for Warren's sake and those guys' sake that they're able to adjust to the new owner's uh, vision. Because to Gaz's point, I could see them saying, "Warren, you need to go to this convention." Um, because you are the face of OTT and you need to be there. Well, I don't like to travel. You have to go. You know, I, I get when you look at it coming from a person whose own businesses and has managed multi-million-dollar budgets. When it comes down to what it affects your budget and what is going to affect your income, you do things that you may not want to do things, and if you can't or the person you're trying to get to do it doesn't want to do it or won't do it, you get somebody else that will. Um, so, you know, and, I, and I'm hoping that's not the case here, but I'm just talking from a purely financial business point of view. Um, these people have invested money, obviously, in buying this company, and, you know, they're going to want a return. So it's, it's not a goodwill thing. Let's be truthful about this. This is not a goodwill. Oh, Warren, you know, we, you know we're buddies. Let me help, you know, buy this, and we'll... Yada yada. They're expecting a return. They're re expecting a return for on their investment, and you know, as long as everything's hunky dory and they're going along with their program, the new owners program, I see things going well. If for some reason there's some hiccups or the new owners have a different change in vision, and you know the guys don't agree with it, we could see some bumps in the road. So it's a scary time. I've been through three mergers in the last seven years. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of have a fresh perspective on what it's like to merge into other companies. Um, you know, you don't see changes coming and all of a sudden, you know, every, we were told my last merger, when we merged with another health system, we were told, you guys are doing a great job. You're the most productive hospital we have. Um, you know, we're not going to change anything. And literally within a year, the entire senior leadership was gone. So, um, some by choice, some by not by choice, because they just didn't like the direction things were going. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, we all thought, we all think that OTT is part of our family; it's a community. But in the in the at the end of the day, it's a business, and if you're not being productive and you're not being financially responsible, there will be changes. 
So we'll just have to see what happens. I'm hoping for the best. Um, it's just kind of a scary time. So, yeah. Do you think they, why do you think Waylon bought them? Um, they wanted a media outlet that was already yeah. established. Yeah, I think looking, I was just looking to see if they do streams or anything on, you know, just a quick search on Google. And they seem to be very, very low key when it comes to video or yep. any type of media content as yep. such. Uh, I suppose one of the good things these days is with the world being what it is, supply media content to them be filtered through. That could be a worry in that if they focus them as all media and want more, they have guys go to all these different events to film and then belt feed that into uh, what has become their media section. Yeah. Uh, and we lose content that way because yeah. the time's now monopolized in a different way. Yeah. But uh, I imagine... I imagine a lot of these scenarios have gone through the guy's minds. Well, and it has. And, and to yeah. be honest with you, like I said, you know, when we were going through our last merger, you know, we were told, oh, no, things aren't going to change. But then a lot of changed in a year. I mean, the hospital senior leadership changed. The CEO of the health system changed because the stockholders and the board didn't like the direction it was going. I don't know what kind of company Wayland is, if it has stockholders or, you know, however it's it's set up. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and you're in business to make money. And if a certain aspect of your company is not making money and it's costing you money and it's becoming a burden or you don't like the direction it's going, and these are the board of directors um, or whoever's at the top decides, you know what, that's not what I want. This is what I want. That could change everything, and it could totally change the face of OTT. So, but that's business for you, you know. Yeah. I mean, in, at the end of the day, life goes on, and businesses need to change and grow, or they die. And so, it'll just be interesting to see what happens. Heavy, heavy, yeah, <laughs> heavy stuff there. Yeah. It's it's uh, very interesting, yeah. So, I don't know, you know, and and for us who've been actually part of Beast of War, you know, I'm speaking for Jim and myself, um, and I know Gaz, you've had quite a close relations with a lot of guys, but you know, from our point of view, you know, actually um, content creators, and you know, us obviously here in the U.S. creating a lot of content and um, covering the conventions and everything for them. I, I, I sent a message to Warren. I said, what does this mean for the U.S. side? You know, and I never got a response back, um, you know, because we weren't opposed to possibly covering some conventions for him um, still. Um, you know, and now that we've had this big break because of uh, COVID and everything. But who knows? I mean, the, the future is at least for the little people. And I'm talking about us at this end um, is unknown. So I don't know. But, you know, but that again, this is all part of consolidation of the miniatures game. I think the golden age of wargaming is over. And uh, I know it's probably an unpopular opinion because, you know, for years, uh, the last several years, Warren, if you, you know, our follower of Beast of War, OTT, has said we're in the golden age of wargaming. Um, in the last two years, you're seeing the bubble burst and you're seeing correction, just like after the dot com and some of these other ones, you know. When we were in the golden age of the dot-coms, you had company after company coming out left, right, and, you know, coming out with all kinds of stuff and ridiculous IPs and things like that. 
and then all of a sudden the bubble burst, and then you saw a lot of stuff going away and consolidating, and you've seen that over the last two years. Look at it. You have Asmodee, who's taken over CMON, who's taken over Fantasy Flight. You've seen other companies just fold up and go away. You've seen other ga uh, companies get uh, bought out, you know, um, uh, Drop Fleet got taken over, uh, Carnivale, um, Wild West Exodus, you know, a lot of consolidation. Um, so... It's. I think the golden age of wargaming is over, to be honest with you. It doesn't mean less opportunities for players. It just means the creativity. I think Kickstarter has killed wargaming in a lot of ways because Amen. who can keep up with all the crud that was being thrown at you um, on Kickstarter? You know, um, And unfortunately for some companies, it was very hard to keep up or compete with some of the bigger companies. I mean, honestly, I, I'm friends with people from CMON, or the old CMON, not, not the new CMON under Day. but does CMON really need to go to Kickstarter for every game that they produce? Honestly? I agree with you. I agree with you so strongly, I don't agree with you. Um, <laughs> not, only has Kickstarter, not only has Kickstarter killed the golden age of wargaming, I would, and we've had this conversation before, I would say the golden age of wargaming was never here. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't golden. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff coming out, but a lot of it was trash. I'm sorry, but a lot, not all of it certainly, no. but a lot of it was not and good. And they're small and companies if, that... If you, need, if, you need, if you need proof, it's all being consolidated. It's all failed. Yeah. Um, now, so, I, I'm yeah. going to talk uh, two points here. Uh, the first point is there have been some terrific games that have been produced by small companies, and I'm speaking to Gaz, uh, <laughs> who produced a wonderful game that we, you know, that's how we met Gaz is when he created that game with his, with his uh, friends. And unfortunately, because there was so much uh, out there, I don't think he was able to build the audience just because of uh, dilution. You know, it's not because he didn't have a great game. You had a great game. You had a great play mechanic. You had this great game. I just think there was so much choice and you had such a limited budget when it came to promotion and everything else it wasn't able to grow like it should have grown. Um, so Yeah, I think that's true, yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we were very lucky in some ways because yeah. War Cradle Studios picked it up yeah, and they've, they've run forward with it, but we never had the, the PR platform. Even even in the modern day, we couldn't get it everywhere to be seen and we, we could only really attend shows in the UK and yeah. we didn't have the budget to, to fly to Europe and USA to, to build the the brand in different areas that yeah. would potentially have been more productive, yeah. but you know, we, we had our fun with it and, uh, you know, we didn't lose money on it, which was nice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, when it's moved forward, it's moved forward to sort yeah. of in a nice way to the right people. Yeah. So, yeah, but, um, again, it's a great game. We have our copy. We, we treasure our copy. Um, but the second point I want to make, and this is what I'm going to relate to, quote unquote, the golden age, as Jim pointed out, um, of wargaming reminds me of the Atari age. Do you remember, Jim, when Atari came out, it was such an awesome system, and then everybody's just started making garbage, you know, e. for Atari? not that bad of a game. was <laughs> e. not that bad of a game. E. was terrible. Um, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it was mostly a, a, 
it's it's a, it's a close analogy. I don't know if it's a hundred percent. I think what happened with Atari specifically was that they just they were a little too loose with their licensing. Yeah, and too many people were coming out with games that were just terrible in quality. Yeah, I think the ET game, which probably unjustifiably shoulders the blame for killing off the entire system or the entire platform. It's not entire. It was already dying. I think ET just kind of finished it off. But I think they crushed out that game in like five weeks, which yeah. for a video game even back in those days was is absurd i mean you can't build a game in five weeks and have it be even close to a uh you know um playable uh, yeah a, a, a good you know marketable yeah. product or whatever yeah it's funny you say um, that because i just read an article this morning about did et kill atari so it's kind of that's the reputation that. it has so it's um yeah this, they literally uh, came in and they stole their own product in the middle of the night they've loaded up a couple 18 wheelers yep. just full of all their tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of these cartridges and it was an urban myth for the longest time until this is kind of an absurd term, but this is the term they use. A modern archaeologist, I call it someone who just drives around in landfills, but a <laughs> modern archaeologist literally went on a hunt, did investigation, did research, and found the burial site. Yep. And finally confirmed the actual urban legend where they found all these things buried. Yep. Somewhere out in Arizona somewhere. And do you know um, that they now have covered it in concrete or asphalt so you can't get to them? Yeah, because now it's a thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> people who are like really bored, they don't want to go on a real vacation, so they say, "Let's go to Arizona and go on a treasure hunt for a BT cartridge from 1984." Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing though. It's just like you know, there are there were good games that came out between you know, 2005, 2015. You know, this ugh, golden age. Um, but there were good games. The problem is. For every good game, there was nine. If not outright bad, just like really put together fast, put out on Kickstarter, let's make a quick buck and uh, see what comes out there. So, yeah. If, yeah, if you were a smaller a smaller house and you didn't have a gigantic um, uh, you know, marketing budget to really put yourself out there above all the noise, it's just going to get lost in the noise. It's just too big radio signals. Uh, apparently, I just looked, and apparently these once buried Atari games were dug up and sold for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, isn't that yeah. crazy? It's, it's, it's literally life. <laughs> but what literally killed the system, you know, thirty years ago, is now like worth. Um, I guess weight and gold or something. I don't know. I don't get it. Um, yeah. So I mean, there was no Kickstarter back in the, back in the eighties, but yeah, I, I totally get the. Uh, the analogy that you're trying to draw there as far as a literal just oversaturation of the market with too many quickly produced and I don't want to say low quality but kind of low quality stuff and it drowns out and takes too much wind out of the sales of the really good stuff that's out there which is the real shame mm-hmm. I mean the guys that or the houses that might not have made it or were acquired by other companies or whatever because they couldn't really stand on their own I mean uh, I think his name was Dave uh, the guy who did uh, Trump Fleet Commander, Trump Sun Commander? Yeah, Dave, yeah. This guy, I mean, I never met him personally, and I never nice bought into Trump Fleet Commander. Nice this, guy. The passion. The guy built like a 1 to 100 scale yep. model, or no, a 144 scale model of like basically a Star Destroyer. It was like 20 feet long or something. Or his universe's version of a, you know, yep. a large capital ship. Yep. I mean, the, the, the passion this guy had for his project was... As someone who kind of makes up little projects of his own, I, I could see it. I could, I could, you know, hey, he's one of us. You know, and um, you know, from what I heard, he just got like burnt out. He just couldn't, he just couldn't do it. The Kickstarter um, he just, just couldn't keep up with. 
Yeah. It really came down to. I think we're going to see more historics as well because as as rule sets for historic become, have become quite agnostic in many genres mm-hmm. uh, and miniatures produced by a lot of different companies because copyright's not really an issue when you start producing miniature ranges for historical. Um, the introduction now of you know affordable three D printing, as Chris can attest to with his. Um, <laughs> His production <laughs> facilities, like Santa's workshop. Uh, China <laughs> West, as I continue to call it. China production. West. <laughs> I'm so proud of that. I'm not walking away from that. That's funny. And, uh, and we're going to see, you know, I'm a part of a couple of patrons. We're going to see, uh, I've not really seen that much as a specific historical patron that's going to be producing different um, different eras and different models from those eras yet. Yeah. But. It's it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and when it does, I I'm signing up to one. it. There you I go. I found one. I'm oh. uh, <laughs> about to subscribe to his Patreon today just so I can try out some models. There we go. So, and I think that's going to be, I mean, you know, it's, it's such an easy way to get, not have a footprint. So you don't need bricks and mortar. You can yep. set this type of thing up as a CAD designer and a company or a group of CAD designers from home, which a lot of these guys are doing now. Yeah. So your footprint's small. Your you know, your tax returns are based on the number of people you have in the company as a as that are producing. So that reduces again, not needing to package and send and everything else reduces the amount of people you need in the company as a whole. Um the quality can be any problems can be addressed digitally very quickly. So, you know, if you have a misprint of not because of you, but because the design is uh, such that the wall or the roof doesn't quite line up due to a, a slight snafu, they can literally just update that. Um, I'm seeing now the patrons are using are using a host um, STL file site. So it's called the one I use is Titanforge and my mini factory now host their files. So I have a my mini factory account and each month my files I wish to download can be downloaded from the patron specifically for that company. But they also get updated to my mini factory where I can download them from there as well. So they're beginning to share the server burden and the storage burden of, you know, what are gigs worth of STLs, which will soon start to add up year in year out yeah so we're starting to see a change in many ways of how game design is Uh, i think we talked about atari and we talked about you know there's a great program on netflix called high score that starts off with atari and moves all the way to modern day and it's it's quite interesting and it shows how we as humans don't stay focused on one thing for very long generally we tend to move into different areas and different wants Mm -hmm. So high scores weren't in a game. They became a thing in a certain era. Therefore, you had world championships with people trying to achieve high scores. And then that transitioned into things like first-person shooters. And so we're like magpies, aren't we? Let's be honest. We've all got our (laughs) piles of shame based on things we liked and saw and things that we bought that we may never get to. But for that fraction of a moment, we thought it was a good idea because that would be great to do. Yeah. Yeah, very few games, like video games nowadays, even have a score. No, yeah, I mean, score. it's like it achievements was... and trophies and unlockables and and microtransactions. It's all this other stuff. But yeah, the, the the general attention span, especially in the internet age, 
is you know measured in milliseconds. I mean, you click, you click, okay, now you click on something else. Oh, you get, you get a Facebook post, you get an email, and you totally forgot what you were doing before you know what the day's over. And you never think about that first thing ever again. Um, especially on the internet, you have like, you know, the old expression, you know, one chance to make a first impression, damn dude, in the internet, that's like, you know, squared, you know, times a hundred, you have to get someone's attention immediately and hold on to it for as long as you can. And again, for companies with very limited, uh, marketing and, uh, outreach budgets, that, that can be, that can definitely be tough. Yeah. And I think you can transfer that to ourselves as hobbyists and war gamers as well in many ways, because there's always something else we want to do as a project. I mean, Jim, how many armies have you got? Literally, I, thousands I, of models. I honestly, I don't know. Uh, you I, know. To, yeah. But there's, um, is there another one you would like to do that you know of? I've got two on the table right now. So this is it. This <laughs> yeah, is yeah, 100% totally. what I'm talking about. And the problem well, is not, I totally agree with you, absolutely. <laughs> And uh, it's like Chris. Chris is now finding a site that's going to potentially snow him under with historical miniatures, which is awesome. Yes. But at the same time, there's always going to be the next project. There's always going to be, oh, that looks great. Um, and, you know, luckily, I think he's a person that finishes his previous ones, not like some of us. <laughs> I tend to, I jump around so much. <laughs> I, I, hit, I hit one project extremely hard. Just for the very reason you're talking about. I mean, I'll work sometimes like on a weekend or a vacation day, like a staycation day, especially in 2020. Um, like sometimes 18 hours. I'll sit down at like four in the morning. I can't sleep six in the morning. And I won't stop until two o'clock the next morning. And I'll be on one. I can't walk the next day because I spent the entire <laughs> But um, I'm desperate internally. Sometimes I stress myself out. I'm desperately or at least frantically determined to finish this project because i know there's four others behind it and god damn it if i don't finish this now it's never going to get done because i can't remember you said you had something that was 75 80 percent done i want to say like you're uh, some yeah. egyptian or something from uh, iraqis uh, yeah. was it the iraqis was it uh, and you yeah. kept saying to me he's like I, I brought the back of it i literally have <laughs> No, in comparison to what I've done, I've got very little left to do, but I've still not done it yet. <laughs> I didn't. I did. My brushes were not wet, not once, between Chris, the day after Christmas, Boxer Day of 2019, and like the middle of August. And in the middle of August, I got like a year's worth of hobby done in like two weeks. <laughs> and now, and, and now I'm off again. I'm like, because yeah, I'm doing something else. It's fine. I'll be back to it. But the trick is not to let it go for more than half a year, I guess. You know. Yeah, I think I think sometimes we forget we can do these in bite-sized chunks. We try to do the full final force rather than build up in, you know, lower pointage games that we could play with people and learn the rules easier because we've not got as much on the table. <laughs> well, that's very true. Yeah, build and learn in, in little steps, certainly. Well, any final thoughts, guys, before we close out the show today? It's been a doozy. That's for sure. Um, I'm looking forward to having KFC for tea. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how that sits with all the rest of you. Uh, for those in the UK, I'm having gravy, which means you Americans have no idea what I'm talking about. What do you mean? Know. What's gravy? <laughs> well, ain't biscuits and I gravy. I know what you're talking about. And see, Chris knows. <laughs> I know what gravy is. See, I, I, I literally wish I had a camera on this. I have biscuits and gravy for breakfast. <laughs> um, on my t literally on my desk right now. 
<laughs> I still, I still haven't. It's, it's one. It's two. It's almost two in the afternoon where I am. I still haven't finished breakfast. Wow. But, yeah. That's like your painting projects, Jim. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I didn't wake up. You're not putting like it on the biscuits. You're not putting on the biscuits with a brush, are you? <laughs> you know what? Biscuit gravy really clogs up your airbrush, guys. Definitely reduce that shit down before you try to put it through your airbrush. It doesn't work. Uh, gosh. That's hilarious. All right, guys. Well, at that interesting note, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. Thank you, guys, everybody. Uh, for joining us, uh, make sure you comment on everything that uh, we've talked about. We need ideas, where you'd like to see the uh, podcast go, what subject matter. Um, throw us a curveball. You know, here's a good contest. I will send a prize to the most original idea on how to stump Jim. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Nick uh, claims to know everything about everything. It's gonna be it's gonna be an easy con. Uh, <laughs> so it has to be historical, uh, warfare related, um, some period in the existence of humankind. Um, now we're not talking Adam and Eve type stuff. Come on, guys, give us a little bit of wiggle room. Um, if you can come Post up with the Battle of Megadome. It has to be after the Battle of Megano. At the risk of putting Chris to sleep again, it has to be. After, that's the birth of military history. It has to be post Battle of Megano. Okay. If you, you don't know it. Battle of Megano, look it up. I don't know what I, it is. I'll have I to have look been looking up. I have been looking up Inuit Wars while we've been chatting. By the way, Inuit, Inuit Wars. Wars. You mean the Eskimos? Yeah. Yes, they went against the Indians and the Americas. Fifteen millimeter walruses. Here we come. <laughs> <laughs> and moose. Don't forget the moose. Yep. Those those thrown penguins are going to be deadly. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Jim's next chapter of the battle for the North Pole. <laughs> you know, that's coming up here soon. I know, and I've already said I'm not doing it. You're not? No, I've literally posted that challenge on OTT. I'm not doing it this year. Oh, if someone else wants to do it, someone else has to. I've done it six years in a row. Bah humbug. It's Somebody like else pick up the torch. Yeah, I know. So somebody else can do it. Traditions are social things. Traditions are social things. Someone else has to do it. All right. So the contest is we'll send a prize. And Paul B. got his prize and sent us a picture of his uh, North Egg prize kit. Oh, sweet. uh, He's very, very excited. Um, Uh I asked him to put some pictures on our Facebook page of his uh, assembled stuff. So... um, who can come oh, wait, most- gee, uh, Yo. Phil, on that, Yo. we still have a competition running that people could still comment on, don't we? Oh, I'm not 100% percent sure that's right. Because the uh, last video has not gone out. It has not yeah, gone but, out. But haven't you re- renounced the results? I did renounce the results. So oh. Sorry. That, that's, that, 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 was my, that was my only Good question. Catch. Good catch, Jim. Good catch. <sighs> nice try, guys. Oh, well, that means somebody's won something. They just don't know it yet. That's right. That's <laughs> true. Um, so I will actually put the to make it even more interesting. You have to watch the the uh, tabletop war video, the game video, in the middle of the video. I'm not going to say exactly in where in the middle of the video. I'm going to post the winner of that contest. So you're going to have to watch the video to find out who won. Wasn't there also something about like a mystery miniature on the table? Yes. Yeah, so what I was about to bring up. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were talking about the contest. We were where we were talking about how it was going to turn out, like the results. Yes. 
the the okay. winner of the contest who predicted the outcome, I will post that person's name somewhere within the video. And then you are right. Um, the other contest, obviously you can't comment on it because you haven't seen the video yet, is there's a mystery miniature on the table that does not belong in the scenario. Once you identify that miniature, uh, we will pick that winner as well. Sounds good. Yeah. So, all right. So there's your contest. Stump Jim. No, oh, that's very easy to do. But, okay, so because I'm not really that smart. <laughs> 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 um, but whoever, yeah, whoever has, like, the, I guess, the most original idea. Yep. It has to be historical, though, okay? Let's, let's not have Martians versus Soviets in 1912 or something. I mean, what? Yeah. It can't be the Horus Heresy? Oh, oh God. <laughs> you just ruined my day. Um, yeah, cool. All right, guys. We're going to leave it at that. So you have a mission. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, please make sure you post them. Keep up the good work, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.